Uh, two things, fear and money. Really? Mm-hmm. Explain. So, you know, fear is, is, can be good and fear can be devastating. And, you know, you and I have been, been through the same training stuff. One can be a way, one can be towards motivation, mm-hmm. right? Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. Today on the show, I have a good friend of mine, Mike Lofton. I've met Mike through the local Vegas networking community, and I'm super impressed with what he's got going on here. So I'm really excited to have him share his story, his um, journey, pathways to success, if that's what we want to call it, and be able to really dig into what has allowed him to create the business and life that he has created for himself, and then what's in the future for him, and allow you to learn through those lessons. When you get a glimpse of the life of Mike Lofton, you immediately understand that he's not your run-of-the-mill leader. The first encounter is guaranteed to leave you re-examining your goals, your strategies, and how you define success. You guys know I love those words. With an energetic attitude and his ever-growing roster of successes, Mike Lofton has taken leadership training and coaching to an entirely new level by helping others get over themselves and others. I'm super excited for this conversation. I'm going to bring Mike in here in just a minute. Before I do, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by the Success Development Solutions Design Your Life Book Club. This book club is designed to help you not only have the accountability that you want for reading, to be able to connect with other people and learn from their experiences and what they take from a book, but in a really cool twist, we actually introduce you to the authors of every single book. So every book that we read, you'll have the opportunity to connect with, ask questions to, and meet with the author of the book during a one-hour virtual meeting. If that sounds like something that interests you, go ahead and click on the Calendly link underneath this episode, or if you're watching this live stream in the Success Center Facebook community, go ahead and comment on this video. Let's have a conversation and let's start getting you reaching your goals. As you know, your level of success rarely exceeds your level of personal development. So let's start getting that success that you really want to have. And with that being said, let's go ahead and bring Mike into this conversation. Hello. Mike, what's going on, man? How are you? Ah, my water. Okay, sorry. This is what happens when I leave my lids somewhere else and then I like try to tip stuff over on my computer. How are you? I'm awesome. How about you? I'm good. I'm so excited um, to dig into this. And, you know, we had to reschedule this from last week. So this has been a little bit in the making. So thank you for your flexibility with me. Not a problem at all. Glad to be here. So I always like to start by understanding a little bit about you and who you are. Where are you from? Where where were you born? Uh, I was born in St. Louis, but grew up in uh, Orange County, California. That's not the same. When did you move um, over to California? From what I'm told, when I was two weeks old. (laughs) Gotcha. So very, very early. And did you, were you in California your entire childhood? How did you end up in Vegas? 
I uh, ended up in Vegas. I went through uh, high school when I was 17. I ended up dropping out of high school. Uh, my parents moved to Arizona. Uh, so from Arizona, ended up in Vegas, went Vegas to Atlanta for a few years, and then back to Vegas. Awesome. So I think it's really interesting to get into the minds of what we all thought life was going to be like when we had it all figured out, like 14, 15, when we were sure we knew what the world was going to hold for us. What yeah. did you think your life was going to look like back when you were 15 and you knew everything? Back when I was 15, you know, it's I, I feel old now. I don't know about you, but... Uh, you I know. feel ancient. <laughs> At 15, we didn't have Instagram. We didn't have any of that <laughs> excited about AOL and online chatting, right? Yes. So, you know, at that time, I, I kind of figured that I would end up like in the automotive industry. I really enjoyed working on cars. You know, the back then that was when Fast and the Furious had come out, you know, a little bit later. So that whole car scene just seemed so awesome. And, and I thought that's where, where I would end up. But boy, is that not the case? No, no, not even close. Um, now you fix people, right? Instead of cars. So fix might not be the right word, but <laughs> improve, improve people, um, people and, and companies and organizations and leadership, which I absolutely love. So you're 100% right when it comes down to what it was like growing up. Like kids today will never understand trying to schedule the time that you can get online and hope that nobody picks up the phone. And just like you're waiting and you're like two minutes into this connection and you're watching the little AOL guy go across the screen mm -hmm. and you're just hoping that nobody picks up um, so that you can just finish this connection. It was um, excruciating. It was. And then and then mom would yell at you because she'd pick up the phone to call somebody and then she'd hear me. You're like, but mom. Yes, exactly. <laughs> now, um, I think I just sent a message to somebody the other day about how frustrated I was that the Wi-Fi in my airplane wasn't working. Oh, you poor thing. <laughs> What a rough world we live in. <laughs> oh, right? It's crazy how quickly we've gone from <laughs> you can't be on the internet and be on the phone at the same time to let me fly and access the internet. So um, in a short period of time, because you and I are not that old. We're young. We're young people. Keep saying, um, keep saying that, girl. Keep saying it, yes. <laughs> All right. So you decide, you think at least that this automotive industry is in your future. You're going through high school and you're like, man, this shit just isn't for me. Like, what was that like for you? That that decision not to continue in high school? Um, was it strategic for you? Was it just like I'm done with this shit? Like, what did what did that look like? No. So what happened was my dad owned group homes for abused kids and uh, pretty successful with it. You know, that's, I think that's where my mindset of owning a business originated from. It didn't come to fruition until three or four years ago um, because my dad did pretty well and we lived in Orange County and it was a lot easier to ditch school and to hide your report cards and your progress reports. When we moved to Arizona is when my parents went to register me for high school and realized I was behind so much on my credits. And they were like, what the fuck is this all about? Like, what, what you're gonna be a senior and you've gotta take freshman classes? Um, so my arrogance at the time and to a certain extent still today said, I am not gonna take another extra six months of high school. My parents said, that's fine. Either get your GED and start working or you have to finish high school. 
well, what was funny is my worst class was math. I was horrible at math. So my parents figured I wouldn't pass the GED because I wouldn't pass the math part. Well, I did. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of how that, that came about. So uh, got my GED when I was 17. I started working at a watercraft and motorcycle dealership. So same, you know, similar space. Uh, I was out in the service department. So I was learning on uh, how to work on motorcycles and how to change props on wave runners. And it was a cool gig at the time. Um, ended up deciding to move to Lake Havasu from the town that we were in and worked at another place there, ended up moving into an apartment. And the guy that lived downstairs was the store manager of an auto parts store. So I went over there, started working in that space, became an assistant manager there and really decided, man, I don't, I don't know what the hell I actually want to do. So I was like, oh, I want to be a cop. That'll be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm be a cop. Uh, started working at Walmart when I was 19 in loss prevention while I was taking criminal justice classes. And that's really how I got into the corporate world was, again, working at, at Walmart, running around catching shoplifters. That was back in the day when you tackle people for a 50 yes. CD that they were stealing, right? Um, yes. You can't do those things today. No. And I ended up getting transferred to Vegas. That's how I ended up in Vegas. That's awesome. To Vegas and started having conversations with people. And they said, dude, you, you need to get into operations. You need to get into management. You've got, you've got a great opportunity with the company. So that's what I ended up doing. You know, there's so much in what you just said in the story that I want to unpack for just a minute, but I want to go back to the conversation that you had with your parents, because although this conversation kind of backfired from their standpoint, mm -hmm. I think that it's really interesting how they approached the situation, which is completely different than how many parents would have, which would have been, this is what you're doing, like hands down, you're not dropping out of school, like fuck that shit, you're right. gonna go to school. And that pushes away a child even more, even an adult, right? Like I'm the type of person, give me an ultimatum and see what happens, right? Yeah. It's not gonna, it's not gonna work out for either of us. Right. The fact that they presented you, whether they knew they were doing this or not, the fact that they presented you with choices and said, okay, that's fine. These are your options. Which one do you want? I think that's incredibly empowering for a teenager to go through. Do you think that that experience, um, and I would assume if that's the way they handled this situation, there were other situations similar to this in your childhood. Absolutely. Do you think that experience of being given choices throughout your life and being told you had to choose what option you wanted and then live with the consequences of that choice helped bring you to where you are today in your business? Yeah, I do. Um, looking back at it, to have a perspective or a frame of mind at 17 about <clears throat> what that option looked like really didn't mean anything at the time. Uh, how it has shaped things today. I, I have two kids. I have a 16-year-old daughter. I've got a nine-year-old son. And it does almost trace back to that point on how we raise our kids with, you can operate within this box, right? And that box is pretty big for our kids. Um, but all of your choices have reactions and decisions attached to them. So my daughter's grounded right now uh, because of her grades. Uh, but she also knows what she needs to do to get out of that situation. So instead of the demanding of things, it's really kind of a tiered thing, which is life, right? Life, life's a tiered system. It all yeah. depends on the decisions you make. 
how you execute, what you what you decide to take responsibility for. And yeah, that, that decision at that time that my parents, I think, gave me the opportunity to start understanding what that really meant. I don't want to go to high school for an extra six to eight months because I'm going to feel like an idiot. Um, so if I don't want that, and I do want to get into what I thought I wanted at the time, then this is how I need to do it. Those are my options. And, and I think it, it's had a lasting impact. Yeah, I, I definitely um, could see how that would be impactful from multiple angles. Um, excuse me. First of all, the empowerment of a, I mean, really, you were 17, but let's be clear, like a child right. to be able to make decisions that will impact them. And then even going back, I mean, I've seen people that are, um, actually, you know what I'm thinking of is the pink documentary. Have you seen that by chance? The pink I, documentary? I haven't. My favorite thing about that is watching the way that she interacts with her kids because her kids are, I don't know, what, like eight, eight and like five in that documentary. And, and she'll sit them down and be like, okay, these are your choices. Like, which one do you want? And I feel like for so long, um, we have parented in a way that treats children like they aren't capable of making those choices and that we need to make them for them, which creates teenagers and adults that aren't capable of making decisions that need people to make decisions for them. And so I love when I hear somebody sitting down and saying, okay, these are your choices. Which one do you want? Mm -hmm. And now let's talk about the consequences of those. So I, I love that approach. And, and it's really cool that you're taking that with your, your, your kids. Well, I think what people forget, and, and it's easy to forget because we're conditioned to be a certain way in society. There's, there's an expectation that people have of how kids should behave or how we should behave as adults. What, what parents forget, in my opinion, is that kids are people still. So a two-year-old throws a temper tantrum in the middle of the store because they don't get the toy they want. Of course, you don't want that behavior because you're teaching them that that's acceptable. How is that any different than a 35-year-old not getting the job that they want and they go out and party and get drunk and get in a fight because they didn't get the job they wanted that day? Isn't that a temper tantrum? It's a more yeah. controlled temper tantrum, but you're still a human. So kids yeah. are humans as well. They just haven't developed the maturity and the tools yet to understand how to work through the frustration or the anger or the sadness that they experience. And to me, that's your job as a parent, to your point, is walk them through those things. It's okay to, yeah. be, it's okay to be mad. How do you demonstrate that? How, do you, how, how does that project outwards into the world? And then what can you do to get fucking over it? <laughs> yeah, and, and how do you do that quickly? And yeah. you know, going back to what you said about this societal expectation of the way that kids should act and the way that adults should act, like that right there is part of the problem in and of itself, right? Is because of these societal expectations. I was just talking to somebody about this today. I have a really good friend of mine who is extremely successful now and is a recovering drug addict, has some time in jail, um, lives on the East Coast. And him and I were talking. I'm a graduate of law school, graduated at the top of my class, like everybody sees this academic side of things. Yet our stories are eerily similar. We lost our dads at the same age. Wow. We both have a history of suicide in our family. And I told him, I said, you know, what's so funny is that the societal expectations, they look at me and say, man, what a success. Uh -huh. And they look at you and say, man, what a fuck up. Uh -huh. And if they were to get rid of the people, 
and look at the history, it's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. You just, we, we ran from our problems in different ways. I ran from my problems by soaking into my educational career and shutting out the world and focusing on my, my professional career. You chose drugs and crime. It's the same behavior, right? It's just a different method. And that I think is what society is missing so much of is they look at the results and they're like, oh, Amber, you know, she must be doing great because she's got all of this stuff going on. And this guy, man, what the hell's wrong with him? And it could have been completely different, right? It's crazy. It's judgment. And that's, that's a, that's a hard thing to get through. And I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll talk about the corporate space as well, but it, it's judgment that fucks people up. Yeah. And when you can get on Instagram today and see, I don't know, I'm just being completely hypothetical, some 23-year-old influencer that's taking selfies on a G6 jet, right? Well, what does every other 26-year-old think that she should be doing, right? Yeah. She has to meet those expectations. And to me, that's where the clarity started to come in probably five years ago when I was still in, in corporate America. I was a store manager at Lowe's. I was the, the district trainer for leadership and talent development here in Vegas. And I hated it. Like, I hated it because it didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything for anybody other than Lowe's. Now, that's not true. There's people that have plenty of value in what happened. Their careers changed. Their, 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 the trajectory that they were on benefited from it. But for me, it wasn't enough to be like, oh, this is what I do. Yeah. Now, looking around the people around me, they felt it was. I, I remember the exact moment that it changed for me. We were at a national sales meeting, and I'm sitting in a room with probably 45 other store managers from across the West Coast. And it's nothing against them. It's just the expectations that are different for people. I'm sitting there in this room at, I don't know, 32 years old, and I'm looking around and I'm looking at the name badges of these people, 25 years, 30 years, right? They've they've got all of this time in the company and they're still a store manager or they're still a district manager. And again, that's nothing wrong with that if that's what's right for them. But I sat there and I went, do I want to be 65 years old? and be a fucking store manager still, or if I progress to a regional or whatever it is, what does that get me? And then I started thinking through in the sixties and the seventies of what expectations were, go get a job at GM, work there for 35 years, collect your check, get to your retirement, shut up and go home. Like, no, I know that I'm capable of doing more than that. Yeah, it's those moments are so powerful um, and very similar to yours when I started to shift from the attorney space into the coaching space. That's exactly the same mindset that I had. Somebody said to me from they were speaking from a stage and they said, I wish people would stop focusing on the career that they want to have and focus on the life that they want to have and find out what gets them there. And it was the first time I had ever looked at what attorneys that have been practicing for 30 years, what their lives looked like. And I'm like, is that what I want to create for myself? Right. I was like, that's a disaster. Like, I don't want that. Right. But we work so hard to accomplish something. And then we're like, man, this must be what I want. So I think it's really interesting that, that you had that, that realization 
um, at that event. Well, and what's the why behind it? Um, yeah. you know, not to pick on attorneys, some of the leadership conversations I've had with people though, is the why behind what we're doing. And a lot of that is driven by expectations. Yes and standards that have been set from a genealogy standpoint. So I'm a cop because my dad was a cop and my mm -hmm. grandpa was a cop, so we're cops. Okay, well, if you weren't a cop, what would you want to do? Well, I'd want to own a detail shop. Then do that. Fucking, right? So yeah. it, it's, a, it's an interesting dynamic because just because you're a lawyer and a lawyer's making, let's just say five, $600,000 a year, doesn't mean that they're happy. Yeah. And, they're and, no, they're right? they're you, miserable. You went to college, you're successful. Yes. But you're unhappy. So how the fuck does that equal success yes. if you're why because you got a big ass house? Good for you. Because you got a, yeah. a, a Mercedes S class that you're rolling around town, but you're miserable in cool story, bro. Like Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So I want to go back just a little bit because um, you said something else when you were talking that I wanted to dig into that I think is incredibly powerful. And that's this 19-year-old um, Mike that's mm -hmm. working as loss prevention and going to school. And so much of what you have now exists because you took a job at Walmart and then you came up through the ranks and then you chose yeah. to do other things. And so I think it's really interesting. I can think of four or five, six examples that automatically come up to my head in my family of people who took jobs that everybody thought were placeholders. Mm -hmm. And those jobs became careers for them that led to other things. So at what point did you realize or decide that loss prevention at Walmart and then whatever might come after that wasn't just a placeholder. It was a career that you wanted to have. Uh, two things, fear and money. Really? Mm -hmm. Explain. So, you know, fear is, is, can be good and fear can be devastating. And, you know, you and I have been, been through the same training stuff. One can be away, one can be towards motivation, mm -hmm. right? Um, when I transferred to Vegas and started to have conversations with leadership in the stores that I was working in and finding out that, Hey, assistant managers are making 50, $60,000 a year. Co-managers are making 80, $90,000 a year. Store managers are making $200,000 a year. Uh, and that all sounded like really cool shit. Especially because, at 19. Because the fear that existed in me at the time was away from, mm -hmm. I'm a high school dropout with a GED where am I going to go making that type of money? Like all of those limiting beliefs that you, you throw into your own head. Now I realize that's what it was that I'm super grateful for. But having the clarity on why it existed now is what's got me doing what I do today. So that transition into, hey, I want to be a market loss prevention supervisor to having a random conversation with the store manager at the time. His name was Tori Nichols. And uh, he called me in the office. He said, why are you wasting your time with this loss prevention bullshit? I was like, what? And he said, man, if you were an assistant manager, you'd make you know this amount of money. I was like, okay. He's like, I said, I don't know anything about operations of the store. He's like, you're a smart guy. You'll figure it out. You need to go into to management. Okay. Like I was 20 at the time. Like, okay, Tori says this is what I'm doing. <laughs> and uh, you know, I got into that and was like, oh, this makes sense. I, I can connect the dots on these things because I'm, I'm 
very strategic and analytical. So it made sense to me that if you do this, then this will happen. If this happens, then this will happen. I was like, oh, I just got to follow this playbook. It makes sense. And that's when the fear kicked in again, because now I'm making the money. Yes. I'm young. At that time, now I'm 21. I'm younger than every other 14, 15, 16 assistant managers in the building. Now I got to be better than all these people, I thought. And that fear pushed me to that. And then now there's badass Mike Lofton that will take care of anything and he'll work in you know, all these different places. Um, cool story, but not really looking back on it because it, it, it quickly burned me out, but I didn't realize I got burned out. So then that led to, we're going to promote this guy to a co-manager, right? So now I'm one level below the store manager and I'm running the food side of multiple stores in town. And then that turns into, hey, we got this shithole store up on Craig and Nellis that needs a store manager. Let's go send this cocky guy up there. <laughs> right? So now I'm 25 and my name's on the receipt. It's my store. I'm 25 making $130,000 a year, right? So that's all cool progression. And I can never complain about it because I learned business acumen. I learned people. I learned financial information from the world's largest retailer when I was 25 responsible for an 80 million dollar PL. Like, how can I be upset about that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned Lowe's. So Walmart mm-hmm. happens, you mm-hmm. you go through that, um, you transition to Lowe's. Mm-hmm. Um at what point, which I mean, Lowe's is a different company with the same management issues, right? So mm-hmm. at what point do you say? all right, there's a better way to do this. Like these stores are not being managed the way that they should be. There's a better way to lead. There's a better way to create what we want to create. So the transition to Lowe's was more about, uh, I thought it would be different, right? I've been at Walmart since I was 19. I figured it's a totally different industry. it'll, It'll be better. It's not. Instead of diapers and milk, it was two by fours and Christmas lights, right? Like it wasn't any different. It was just a different set of problems that still were rooted in the same bullshit. Uh, rude customers, low employee retention, you know, those those type of things that are in place, unfortunately, in the corporate world. Um, so maybe my first two years, I was pretty excited about being at Lowe's because it still was different. I was learning a new company, so the challenge was back. Um, the foundational pieces of retail still existed, but how Lowe's executed those things was different. My my supervisor at the time back in Atlanta, because that's when I switched over to Walmart, was when we were in Atlanta. Him and I had an amazing relationship. We, we partnered on a lot of different uh, things that were going on within the market, projects that were going on in the company. So I was motivated by those things, not so much being a store manager. I was motivated yeah. by the challenges that existed. Uh, then moved back out here to Vegas and it was back to the same old bullshit, right? Like it just, and now that I look back and you ask the question, that's when I started to realize, man, this doesn't make sense. Everything is cookie cutter. Not, not every employee learns the same way. Not every employee is motivated by the same thing. So we have to have mandatory associate appreciation days every quarter. What, order fucking pizza and put up a sign that says, we appreciate you, but we just fucked you on your hours, right? Like, (laughs) it became so contradicting on 
what was going on and then oh well you're not meeting this metric well how do you want me to meet that metric when we're not doing anything for our freaking people so then you get put in a place to stand on a platform and preach shit that you don't believe about or that you don't believe in and that's when it quickly just fell through uh, in my mindset where I'm like, I'm done with this. Like I'm over it. So you're at this point, you already have a family. Mm -hmm. You have responsibilities that a 19, 20, 21 year old kid doesn't have. Mm -hmm. And you're like, man, this just isn't working anymore. So I'm going to quit my job and open my own business. Is that like the way that it happened or how did it go? Kind of. So it, again, it's, it's, over course of years. So that's when I had met Dana, mm -hmm. uh, Dana Nicole, my business partner. She was the market HR director for Lowe's. So that's when her and I met. And maybe two years after that is when Lowe's started transitioning things that they really needed to. They were, I call it, they were in their growing up phase. They were trying to get out of being a podunk Southern company. Uh, they were bringing in people from the outside and executive and CEO positions that have been in organizations that things have to happen like this. Um, and Dane and I started to notice, man, if we don't do something to supplement what the company's doing, these people that we're trying to develop are going to fail quick because they've grown up in that, in that culture of we take our time to do things. If we don't want to do it, we don't have to do it. And there's not consequences. She came from target. I came from Walmart, man, if Walmart said paint the outside of your building blue by Friday and it's Wednesday, you better have that fucking building painted, right? It's not going to be like, they're not interested in why you couldn't get it done. Yes. Right. So that's when we started to get into the, our own programs that we were implementing within Lowe's of development and teaching people how to read financial statements before they become a store manager. Yeah. Teaching leadership, even if it was hourly management positions, how do you actually lead people? instead of them just getting put in that position because they were the best forklift driver in the building. You're great at driving the forklift, and now you're in charge of paint. Yeah. <laughs> like, that doesn't make any sense. So that's when we started to have the conversation about what would this look like if we were doing this on our own for small businesses? And that fear was still a, a, a factor, though, that stopped us from doing it. To your point, what are we going to do? Just quit our jobs? She has a family. I have a family. We have bills to pay. We're not <laughs> to, to roll out of it. So that's where the idea began. Uh, I left Lowe's and went to a payroll and credit card processing company that the compensation was similar because that was my, I had to do something. Yeah. And I said, I got to get out of retail. I don't want to run a Target. I don't want to run a Lowe's. I don't want to, I, I got to get out of fucking retail. Because I hate retail because I just can't conform to it anymore. So that's when I went and did that kind of on my own to prove that I could be successful in a different environment. So I'm curious, and this isn't related to anything we're talking about now, except mm -hmm. it just popped in my head. Um, as an attorney, when I watch legal shows, it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. um, so when you walk in a store, is it still hard for you to get out of retail mode? Like when you walk in to a store to go shopping with your family, do uh -huh. you still look at stuff and you're like, oh, like this isn't the way it should be and this isn't the way it should be and you just can't turn it off? It's uh, it's way better now than it used to be because I've been <laughs> out of it for three years now, maybe we're going on four. But yeah, it's still rough, especially if I go into, uh, you know, my wife loves going to Target. So if we go into Target and 
the aisles aren't zoned and there's still carts of freight out. I'm like, it's 10 a.m. What the hell? <laughs> what did they do last night? Why didn't they get the shelf zone? I was like, shut up. I'm like, this is, yeah. So sometimes it does that. It was so funny. Um, the When I was in college, the bar that I used to hang out with at um, was a karaoke bar and I would always stay until closing and then we would go out and have Denny's and I'd hang out with the staff and all that stuff because they were my friends. And so I'd be a customer there and I'd be like, start, I'd start busting tables and they're like, Amber, like, you don't have to do this. And I'm like, but I do, because I'm from the service industry and the idea of a table that has anything on it and nobody's taking care of it is making me twitch. So I need to take care of this so that I can enjoy my drink. Yep. Um, and I can imagine that like, it takes every ounce of effort, at least back then, for you to not like unload their stuff for them and get their stuff out of the way so that you could just enjoy your shopping experience. Yeah, it was more so making sure everything was lined up, especially if <laughs> my wife's checking her list and pulling stuff off the shelf and I'm over there like front facing the can. <laughs> like, really? Like, that's amazing things yeah. that never die right but that attention to detail is what allows you to be so amazing in what you're doing now so eventually you get over the fear you reach this point where you're like all right we're gonna make this happen you start working with small businesses in helping them craft the leadership and the company policies that they need to be successful i'm curious what are the things, maybe one or two things from your corporate experience that you took with you that you said, okay, every small business needs to do this. And my God, I'm going to tell my small businesses that if they ever do this, I'm firing them because they're not listening to me. Mm -hmm. So the, the number one thing that is relevant today and was the most interesting to me because it's how I was groomed was KPIs, key performance indicators. Um, you, I, I grew up in corporate where you had dashboards for everything. You wanted to see how your stocking program was going. You logged into the system, you went to the dashboard and it showed you how many hours were spent compared to how many cases per hour. You wanted to know people related things. You logged into the HR dashboard. If you wanted sales metrics, you logged into a dashboard. So that's the first thing that I put in place with our clients is helping them work through what are you measuring? Because what you measure gets results. And when people don't measure things as business owners is where we're seeing that, that cloud, that brain fog, that confusion, which direction do I go this week? I'm going to work on this. And then, Ooh, there's a new shiny object next week. So I'm going to go work on that and setting those KPIs that are going to be in alignment with the goals that they want to achieve is the number one thing. Cause if you don't know what the hell you're, why you're doing what you're doing other than well i'm going to get more sales how like that that doesn't compute to me there needs to be a plan in place so we know if we're looking at a lagging indicator or a leading indicator and as many things as you can have that's a leading indicator which is you know what's happening before it happens as opposed to focusing on lagging indicators we're like oh i had a shit week last week i need to change this week well it's already wednesday <laughs> right? so where do you think these results are going to look different next week so that's the number one thing and then that piece that i talked about from an employee engagement or retention standpoint that dana does an awesome job focusing on is now more than ever it's a jacked up job market 
um, and, and COVID really sped up some things that companies are behind on. Uh, employee benefits, we, we did a whole webinar talking about that, that if you're a business owner right now and you are excited that you offer 401k to a 22 year old that doesn't give a shit about anything other than Bitcoin and their side hustle, um, your 401k is dumb. And yeah. people will look at us and go, what the hell are you talking? It's true. Yeah. So those those two things, what do your what do your people actually care about? Not what you're doing that makes you feel warm and fuzzy because that's what's been happening for 30 years. What do your people actually care about and what are you measuring? Yeah, I think that that's a huge point right there, just from people and retention as a whole. Looking at your business from what do your employees want instead of what would I have wanted when I was an employee. Um, I was talking to somebody about millennials and they were like, millennials just don't stick around. And we were like, no, they stick around if you give them a reason to stick around. They just don't care about your money. And they don't care about your 401k. I don't care about any of this. Like they want to know that what they're doing makes a difference, has a future for them, gives them freedom and makes them feel important. Like 401ks don't matter. And I think that it's really interesting. Like for my law office, for example, um, I run a flexible schedule. Like we find a way to make it work in my law office for a flexible schedule, giving my staff a few hours a week that they get to play with makes them feel like they're in control of their schedule and makes them happy. Like that's a benefit that I'm able to offer them. And it's unheard of in the legal field. Everybody's like, no, I need my people in the office from this time to this time. And, and Why? What's the Why? most important part of what you just said? The fact that they, the employee has control over what they're doing with their day. Or the, the other, your peers, right? You said, yeah. I need my people in the office. Exactly. Exactly. And that and that was my response to them was was why? So so you can know somebody's there doing nothing. Like I would much rather have my staff at home with her kid answering phones and being able to be with her family and feel like she has a job that cares about her family time than be able to say my business comes first. You're here to serve me. That's it. Like that's the big problem is like People don't always see their business as a team effort, and they think that because they own it and they lead it, that they're the most important people in it. And um, unfortunately, like I tell my staff all the time, my name might be on the door, but you're the only reason this place runs. Like I I do nothing um, of importance here except for make money and go to court. So um, I think that that's a huge thing is that ego piece. Like, do you struggle getting people to let go of that ego piece of my business, my way? A hundred percent. And and I say that because I've struggled with that. And uh, I was, I would be the first to admit, and I've really had to think about some of these things since we started the company. I wasn't a great leader for a large majority of my time. I wasn't. I was an asshole. Uh, I had the mentality of, if you don't want to be here, fuck it. I'll find somebody else. I mean, that's that's how you, you you get groomed, and especially my imprint stage of learning business was back in that time. That was 2002, 2003 is when that was prevalent, right? Yeah. So not proud of it by any stretch. There's, you know, there's probably hundreds of people that if I had their phone number, I'd like to call and be like, 
hey, remember back in 2009? I'm kind of sorry I said that to you. Um, like instead of the AA 12-step program, yeah. it's like the leadership 12-step program. Yeah. I think we all go through that though, right? We can't become the leaders we need to be until we go through a period of being like awful leaders. Yeah. Um, I, I want to point on something that you just said though, because I think there's another side of this that people forget. And I've fallen into this category of, I must be a great leader because everybody loves me, right? Like mm. I know I let everybody do what they need to do. We roll by committee. Like that must mean that I'm a, like the best boss ever. And it took me a long time to realize like people sometimes just want to know what you need from them. Like, mm. what do you expect from me? What are we going to do moving forward? So that person that's like, but my whole staff loves me. Like, that's not always a good thing. <laughs> that's not always a sign of a great leader. That's actually a sign of somebody who isn't comfortable enough in their abilities to lead that they need to make friends of the people who work for them. And that was me for so long. Yeah. How How so? Like, what What do you look back um, on when you see where you're like, holy shit? The inability to actually give direction, right? Like, so in a staff meeting, instead of being like, hey, I need this done, I need this done, you did this last week, and this part of it was good, and this part of it wasn't, so let's focus on this. It was just like, okay, this is what we need to get done. Um, you can figure out how to do it. And then like mistakes would get made and be like, oh, you're human, which yes, you're human. And also there's a better way to do this, right? So it was like, I, I never wanted to be, and I think that part of it is because similar to what you just said, especially in the beginning of my career, I started working with an attorney that was like, he would actually say the words to people. Um, I don't care if your kids are sick. This is the time I need you at the office. Like these are, these are the times. Right. Yeah. And I always remembered, I'm never going to be like that. And so I overcompensated with like, I'm just going to give you no direction at all. And we'll just figure this out together. One side um, to the other. Right. Yeah. Great. Mm -hmm. And then you kind of work your way. So now with the coaching business, I have the amazing opportunity to start this different with my team and give constructive feedback and, and make sure that, you know, it's much easier to do it right the first time than it is to fix it. Cause now I have staff that's amazing in my law firm yeah. that has been accustomed to the Amber that's not actually present in decision-making processes. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you start to insert yourself back in there and it's like, well, why doesn't she trust me? She's been letting me do this forever, right? Yeah. So there's like these growing pains with fixing it, but I just know there's so many people out there that just think that because they don't have any conflict in their business, or hell, let's even talk about relationships. I used to think I have the best marriage in the world because we never fought. Well, we also never talked. Right. So like we never talked, right? So mm -hmm. people think because their world is conflict free that they must be doing great at everything. And unfortunately, like it's exactly the opposite. Right. It, it's a, it's a push pull that uh, is a never ending process because people are never ending and it's always evolving. So you're, you're going to have new people that come in. The culture of your office is going to change. Times are going to change what's important to people. And uh, I mean, you said it, I, I used to say the same type of things or pretty damn close to it. And yeah, I got results, but at what expense, right? Yeah. Um, it, that, that was Mike. Well, go put Mike in these shit stores and he'll fix them. Yeah. By 95% of the metrics that existed. I actually had good employee engagement scores, usually the highest in the market. Um, was I always right about how I engaged with people? Absolutely not. 
you said it earlier though that I think is cool that you see it. People need and want structure. Mm-hmm. We're wired that way. As human beings, we're wired to to we need to know that we're doing good. We need to, whether that's external, internal, but we need to know that we're successful. We need to know that we're doing good. We want to meet our expectations of our bosses. All of those things are true in every person. There's a very, 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 very small group of people that get up and go, I'm going to go fuck shit up at work today. <laughs> yeah, very small. And if they do exist, then they're easy to weed out because you can just tell they're instigating. Right. But most people want to do well. So as a boss and as a leader, which I think is more important to, to focus on, is you, there's the difference between a manager and a leader is you manage things, you lead people to get those things done. Yeah. Right? So understanding what those dynamics are with with your team, but actually caring about what those dynamics are, not trying to flip flop those dynamics to make it work when it's convenient. Because what you're doing with your team is awesome. If flexibility in their schedule is important to them and they know it's important to you, you're probably going to retain your people if that's a benefit that's offered in your law firm. Good for you. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, and we just sit down and have the conversation. I, I when I when I talk to people about this, they're like, "Man, that has to be hard to manage." And I said, "Well, it's no harder to manage than somebody who's pissed off at work all the time." Nope. Like, yes, it requires a specific type of person to work for me. Somebody mm-hmm. that's trustworthy, somebody that's a self-motivator, somebody that can that can know when things need to get done and be willing to be at work to get them done. Um and when you find that person, they're a keeper. And what also happens is like I tell my staff all the time, and I think this is what's also missing a lot in leadership in small businesses is like the success of this business. My staff wants it just as much as I do, right. because when my business succeeds, they get more as a result of the success. So when I tell them like we need the meat, I don't care where you're at, when you're at work, when you're not here, as long as the needs of the business are met and you're honest with me about your time and where you're at, um, they know what they need to get done. They know how long it takes to get it done. I don't take walk-in appointments. It's a boundaries thing for me. I don't think you would walk into a specialist's office and request to be seen right then. Like, hey, I'm here for, you know, I I, I need my leg, like whatever. Like you wouldn't go into a doctor's office that's a specialist and just be like, see me now. So I don't take walk-ins. Can I get my wrists uh, operated on today? (laughs) So, I mean, you make an appointment. So I don't have walk-ins. And because I don't have walk-ins, they know exactly when they're expected to be at work and exactly when they're not. What they can do from home and what they can't. Um, So I think that that's really interesting from just a leadership standpoint. And it took me a ton of time to get there because I had to let go of control. I Mm -hmm. had to let go of knowing where everything was at all the time. So I'm really interested because I feel like you and I could um, talk about this forever. Um, Unfortunately, neither of us have that long because we're business owners. Um, You are based in Las Vegas. I would assume, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you can actually work with anybody nationwide, or do you focus only on the Las Vegas area? No, we we have clients nationwide. So we we have a client in California. We have two in Arizona, South Carolina, Atlanta. Um, so we've we've got folks all over the place. Uh, it it depends on on what their needs are. You know, we're working on a sales training for a company in Ohio. Um, so that'll require travel on our end, but generally speaking, our our week to week clients, this is this is what COVID created. 
uh, yeah. the ability to do Zoom and, and chat with people on the phone. And uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a cool opportunity to be able to touch so many different people in different states. Absolutely. And what I also think is really important that you and I know from the coaching world is even if you think you have it all figured out, even if you and you probably have a really good system set up, mm -hmm. there's always little things that can be tweaked. And that outside perspective of the way that you're interacting with your employees and your employees are interacting with you can be a gold mine. So for you, you do the strategy side of things, but I assume you also do the coaching side of things to say, hey, this is going on in your business right now. These are some of the ways that you could change the way that you're interacting with your employees to get this type of effort, um, which can be incredibly valuable for a business owner that wants to grow. Do you do those things as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's like you said, on, on my end, I focus on operations, strategy, structure of the company, the day-to-day -day business side. Uh, Dana focuses on the HR piece. <clears throat> what we're excited about with Loft and Approved is when you, when you mess with HR, it messes with operations. When you mess with operations, it messes with HR. You have the best of both worlds under one roof. So when, when I make an operation change suggestion to a client, I'm immediately going into, hey, if we do this, you change this vendor, you, you make this, pull this lever, we're going to get you that 10% you're looking for, that 15% you're looking for. It's also going to affect your people. So let's talk through that. How will reducing your headcount, because we're trying to save on payroll taxes and there's redundancy within your operations anyway, you need to talk to Dana on how we're going to work through that. And more importantly, what needs to happen afterwards with the remaining employees. And I'm just using that as a hypothetical mm -hmm. example. Those are the things that, that go hand in hand with each other. So what do you say to the person? And we'll start mm -hmm. to wrap up with this. What do you say to the person that says, this all sounds amazing, but my business is really small. I only have three or four employees. Do I really need this right now? Or should I wait until I grow? It goes, so on my discovery call with folks, the, the very first free consultation that's, that's 30, 45 minutes long, I'm getting in immediately to first, why are we on the phone? Why did you get on my schedule? Like, what are we doing? Because this isn't about me, it's about you. And through that, very quickly starts moving into what their goals are. And I, I try to focus on six months from now, because six months is quick. People don't realize that six months comes and goes. So where do you want to be in six months? And they may say, I want to own another building. I want to, I want to increase my staff by X amount. I want to increase my revenue by whatever. Start having that conversation about why aren't they there right now? Well, what's preventing you from doing it? Which then in turn goes back to why are you on the phone with me? Well, I just don't know what strategy I need to use. I don't know what direction to go to get there. Well, what if you did know that? What? What would this start to actually uh, work out to be to meet your vision? And then if they say, well, I only have three or four employees, then it goes back to, okay, your goal is this though. So if you don't know if you need to work with us or not, what would happen if you did work with us and you achieve those goals six months from now? Because you're doing the right thing. And I think that's what business owners, it's easy to get caught up in. Dane and I have done it. You come up with a great idea you have success with it. And then you think that you have to own everything. Yep. You have to own it all because heaven forbid somebody judges you for not knowing how to do social media. Yep. Heaven forbid that someone doesn't 
there that someone judges you because you don't know how to deal with people. So you're on you're on the, the master class of Google trying to learn everything. But in the meantime, you're not working on marketing. You're not engaging with your team. You're not doing all the things that you need to do to continue to progress your business forward. And then all of a sudden you turn around and you look and you're like, I'm drowning because I don't know what to do because I waited too long to get other people to help. Yeah. So if people want to continue this conversation with you, they're interested in learning more about you, what you could possibly do to help their business grow from a um, operations standpoint, where's the best time or where's the best place for them to reach out to you? Uh, they can find us on social media, Instagram, Facebook, Loft and Approve. Uh, they can also visit loftandapproved.com. They can download a free ebook. It's a nice 58 page ebook that we put together to help business owners kind of go through everything that we just talked about from a strategy standpoint. And then they can also book a call to hop on and chat with me about what they've got going on in their business and see if it's a good fit to start reaching their goals. Amazing. All right. So let's shift for just a minute. Let's talk about the success element of this podcast. So I ask every single one of my guests this question because I believe that you cannot build the life that you want until you know what success means to you, that your definition of success is ever changing and has to be your guiding light for every decision that you make. So for you, how do you define success? What does it mean to you? Uh, in business? In business, in life as a whole, whatever works for you. So I'll, I'll stay on the business side of it. For me, the success in business is continually being open to learning and adapting. And, and I say that because as we've kept that open mindset, our business has grown from zero in January to we're on track to be a six figure company in the next nine months, right? That is all generated from being open to learning new things. And every time we learn something, every time that we implement working with an outside vendor to change what's happening in our organization, we see the results that we're looking for. And to me, that's the happiness part of it is we're having fun with it. We're not trying to scale this thing overnight. We're actually enjoying the process that includes the fucking frustrations that everybody goes through. Yes but we're experiencing them and then overcoming them. And that overcoming creates the happiness, which creates the happiness with the clients that makes the retention, which of course ultimately makes the money. That's amazing. Um, so how do you then make sure that the decisions that you're making are moving you towards that overreaching definition of success? Is there, um, do you guys do, strategy sessions as, as a business or as, as a person, how do you make sure that the decisions you're making personally and professionally are always congruent with where you want to go? Because we're always analyzing where we want to go. So we reverse engineer almost everything we're doing. That's amazing. So reverse engineer is such a powerful tool and it's something that not enough people use because they think I want to get here, I want to get all the way over here. So for me to do it, I'm just going to start walking. And like, you know, the best example that I can give is just like, you're basically walking through a desert with no mm -hmm. compass and no direction and no map. And you're like, but um, I think I'm going to end up there because I'm making progress. Like, I know I'm making progress because I'm moving. So that that reverse engineering is so important. 
Mike, I've absolutely loved our conversation. What I'd love to do is wrap up with a quick random round, let everybody get to know you just a little bit. Are you okay with that? Sure. Awesome. If you could do anything other than what you're doing now, what profession do you think would be fun to attempt? Flying airplanes. Yes. I think we discussed this the last time that we talked. It sounds mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. Um, I was actually on a plane to Orange County and like looking up how much it would take to get my pilot's license. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I really want to do this. Yeah. Love it. Do you want to do it professionally just for fun? Like what would you want to do? First for fun. I've got, I actually have a couple hours in. Uh, and so I started it finishing. It's a different story with, like you said, the financial piece and I'm just not, it's a can't for me or it's a, won't. Yeah. I just won't spend the money right now. Yeah. It's kind of a tease. Cause where my office is, is like, Henderson Executive Airport's right here. So I hear planes taking off all day. I see them flying past my window. I'm like, I got to get that on my list. (laughs) Yes. Um, Okay. If you could time travel, where would you go and why? I would go to old Vegas era to be able to hang out with the Rat Pack. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. Okay. So we did time travel. We did um profession what book would you recommend the most to somebody like what book do you think in the business or entrepreneurial space that every person needs to read the subtle art of not giving a fuck yes <laughs> that is still my most recommended book of all time that yeah. book changed so much of the way that i think so yeah. mark manson's book if you guys haven't read that you should check it out it's amazing um yeah. And then the last question, because I'm a huge music nerd, so this is personally um, selfish. What's your pump-up song? What is that song that you listen to that just automatically puts you in a good mood? Uh, You Don't Know by Jay-Z. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show with me. I really, really appreciate it. And one more time, if anybody wants to reach out to you, loftandapproved.com or loftandapproved on all social media, correct? You got it. Yep. Or info at loftandapproved.com if you want to shoot an email. Perfect. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate Podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that sounds like something that you're interested in the name of that facebook group is success center head over there request to join and i look forward to connecting with you soon